Good morning, church. It is indeed good to be back here in this house of worship. Last Sunday, Brett Andrews, who was here, said that he had been usurped for a couple of Sundays because of the, the COVID uh, protocols and rules that had come in. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to outdo Brett, but the last time I preached here was March the 9th, and I emptied the church after that for four months. <laughs> I trust God today that this is not an emptying of the church today. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Let's pray. God, it is indeed good to be again in your house today. And to know that as we worship with the songs that have been sung, that we've been drawn into the very throne room of God this morning, and that you are here present with each of us. And for those who are online watching, that we are one big family together at worship this morning. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our living Redeemer. Amen. Well, it has been said that the best stories in life are the ones that are true. True not so much in that they record accurate historical details, but true in the sense that they illustrate who we are as human beings and how the world around us is. Another has said, when we read a story, we inhabit it, and the covers of the book are like a roof and four walls. And what is to happen next that will take place within those four walls of the story? A well-told story convicts the mind of truth while also romancing the heart with hope. As we all discovered two years ago, the power of a story is undeniable throughout the scriptures. For you see, stories are God's idea the primary means by which to tell us about himself and how to be in right relationship with him. And in the ancient world, Jesus was a storyteller par excellence. And he used, at times, fictional stories like a window to convey a message of truth, some truth about ourselves, about the world in which we live, but ultimately about God. And I believe that our life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. And there are a few stories in all of the world's literature that are as well-known and well-loved as the one involving two very different sons and the father who loved them both. The reformer Martin Luther once called this story the gospel within the gospel. 
And I believe that our tradition has not done us any favors by giving it the title, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. What you will see in the picture on the screen is one of those stories with the power to change our lives. It is a picture of Rembrandt's famous painting, which he entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. It was painted during the last years of his life in 1669. And the original painting was actually eight feet high and six feet wide. In 1986, Henri Nouwen, a Dutch theologian and writer, toured St. Petersburg, Russia, which was also the former Leningrad. And while he was there, he visited the famous Hermitage, where he saw, among many other things, Rembrandt's painting. And Nouwen said that he stood there for two hours mesmerized by this remarkable painting. And after several days of repeated, repeated trips to the hermitage, reflecting on the painting, Nouwen then wrote in his book, I knew that Rembrandt deeply understood the spiritual homecoming. I knew that when Rembrandt painted his prodigal son, he had lived a life that had left him with no doubt about his true and final home. So let's read the story. Familiar story from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property among them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and, you ne and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitute comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we read the story, did you notice the word prodigal appears nowhere in the story itself? You see, in the tradition of Jesus' day, stories did not originally come with a title. And I believe that when the church tradition titled it the parable of the prodigal son, we are being told to focus on the wild and reckless nature of the son. But I want to change that this morning. Jesus simply told a story, the story about a man who had two sons. You see, in reality, this story is not primarily about the son. It's about the man, the father, who had two sons. As Henri Nouwen points out in his book, the story which Jesus tells is a, par is, is a parable of the father's love. You see, the spotlight is never off the father. He's at center stage from the moment the curtain goes up. So rivet your attention, my friends, on him. He dominates every scene. It is the storyline of the whole autobiography of God, lived and told by Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This, I believe, is the parable about the prodigal love of God. In this seemingly simple yet multi-layered story, it seems to me that Jesus gives us the essence of the entire biblical storyline in one vivid narrative. And if we can see that, 
we actually get a bird's eye view or a big picture story of what the Bible is all about. So picture with me the context first. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, two groups of people had come, had gathered around to listen to Jesus. And on the one side were the moral insiders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elites, the good church-going folks, the elders who believed they were the arbiters of right belief and right conduct. And on the other side of the gathering were the immoral outsiders, the sinners, the tax collectors, those who had fallen away from the moral laws and ordinances of the Bible. And the truth is, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. In Luke chapter 15, there is recorded for us a series of three stories about how the kingdom of God reaches not only to those who have it all together and are acceptable to society, but also to those who are what we might call the least and the lost, the sinners, those who are looked down upon or might not know all about the incredible love of God. In this particular story, the third in the series, Jesus is telling the world, he's telling you and I an incredible story, a story into which God invites you and me as participants in this story. In his book, The Prodigal God, Timothy Keller points out that the two brothers represent really two basic ways that people try to make life work each of whom represents a different way of being lost or alienated from God. The younger son pursues self-discovery. He's on a quest to find and fulfill himself, even if a few people have to get hurt along the way. The older brother, on the other hand, is committed to a more socially respectable way of being in the world, the way of moral conformity, kind of looking good on the outside, working hard to earn approval of his community and the favor of his father, but spiritually lost on the inside. In the culture of Jesus' day, the younger son's request for his inheritance was really an unspeakable request, an unthinkable one filled with much disrespect. And it was as if this younger brother was saying, Dad, Dad, you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. And so I wish that you were dead, so give me my share of the estate now. 
And the father's response was even more shocking, or shall I say reckless, than the request itself. In actual fact, the definition of prodigal means extravagant, lavish, unrestrained, and yes, even reckless. In the culture of Jesus' day, the younger son's request should have been met with strong rebuke or even banishment from the family. Going against the customs of the day, enduring his loss of honor and respect, and even the pain of rejected love, the father acts in a way completely unexpected. He gives his younger son the inheritance and lets him leave. Such prodigal love for his son. Well, we don't really know all of the specific details of the younger son's escapades. The King James Version of the Bible has some colorful language to describe his circumstances. It says he wasted his substance in riotous living. He was selfish, undisciplined, reckless, and his life began to collapse around him. He lost his friends. He lost his money. He lost his resources and ended up lost in a far country. A wasted life in a pigsty. Life without the father is no life at all. And by the time the younger son had come to his senses and started to head home, some transformation was already in the works. Instead of give me the inheritance that belongs to me, it had now become make me like one of your hired servants. But oh, oh, what prodigal love awaits us each time we return to the Father. Prodigal love gives wings to the Father's feet. See, in Jesus' day, Jewish fathers never run to anyone. Everyone runs to them. But in this story, the Father can't run fast enough to express the expectant longing of his heart to welcome his lost son home. No reservations on the Father's love here. No reprimand. No dressing down. Just total, unmerited forgiveness even before the Son has spoken a word without knowing if his Son would hug him back or callously walk away again. My friends, this, this is the gospel in miniature. You see, God's love does not wait for a guarantee before it comes to us. God's unstoppable love simply comes to every one of us right where we are this morning. Familiar verse, uh, Romans 5, 8, the Apostle Paul said, 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Whatever you might believe about God, don't miss this. In Jesus Christ, God runs all the way down the road of life to us to greet us with bear hugs and kisses just to welcome us home. But now let's, let's fast forward the story to the scene of the older brother. When I was growing up at home, my parents, and maybe some of you do the same, would often go to the door to call us in for dinner. You know, Fred, Fred, dinner's on. Come on, come on in. Not so in this story. The father doesn't go to the door to call his older son inside. And he doesn't even relay a message by way of a servant. Going against the custom of his day, the father goes out, out into the field to plead with his older son to come in and join the party. But the older son was enraged, refusing to join the party arguing with his dad in front of his guests. Another round of humiliating rejection for the father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders and you never gave me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. When you love so much, there is no scale adequate to calculate your devotion. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Unlike the older son's cutting retort, Love like this cannot be calculated or measured. The father loves both sons equally and without measure. God's love for each of us is truly extravagant, absolutely mind-boggling, which is why I think the cross of Calvary is not a means of payment for our sin. The cross shows us just how far our prodigal God will go to express God's immeasurable, unstoppable love for every one of us. And he says, all I have is yours. A favorite song of mine that we often sing here, and thanks, Jeff, we sang it this morning. I appreciate it. Here are the words again. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, 
reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. From the very beginning of this story, Jesus gives us a picture of our Heavenly Father who loves enough to let us go with no strings attached. We are loved so much that we are even free to leave home, free to choose our own destiny, to be God over our own lives, to make choices that, yes, may even lead us down the road that leads to a full and abundant life, or the road that leads to emptiness, lostness, and even death. And the road that we choose in life will always be ours. The road that leads to lostness and death, or the road that leads us home to the Father's love. But then Jesus, I believe, comes to the really outrageous part of this story the father who is dreadfully wasteful with his love, the father whose heart is big enough to welcome us home without reservation or condition that we may be part of the father's joy. As now one has said it in his book, the father does not measure out his love to his children according to how well we behave. He hopes to see them all together as sisters and brothers all around the same table. Yes, and even different as we are. They all belong to the same household and are children of the same father. For a long time, sermons have focused primarily on the younger son's return home. And sometimes, yes, we are lost in willful disobedience. Sometimes we cannot resist the urge to flee from God or seeking the hedonistic pleasures of our world. And returning home be can become a miracle of grace. As Henri Nouwen himself experienced, we are not always the younger son. And in most congregations today, such as IPC, we have a generous mix I believe of elder sons and daughters, good sons, good daughters, all trying to be good, faithful, and true. And yet the shocking truth is we can be just as lost as the younger son, far away, far away from the father's home, even without leaving it, even missing the limitless love of God missing the miracle of God's amazing grace. My dear child, everything I have is yours. But here's my dilemma this morning. We could all spend a long time ruminating this story, trying to discern which son we are most like. And that was indeed Nowen's dilemma 
until a staffer at the Daybreak community north of Toronto said to him one day, whether you are the younger son or the elder son, <clears throat> you have to realize that you are called to become the father. As we think about the vision and mission of IPC for this fall season, and especially during this season of COVID-19, can we be like the Father? Becoming a Christian, you see, is not just about accepting Jesus into my life. I believe our mandate is also about participating in God's life-transforming story. In these days of COVID-19 and certainly doing church differently, can we risk the challenge of the parable to be an engaging church with the heart of the Father, extending compassion and welcome to all? For the gospel, you see, calls us to look on the journey of others with the eyes of the Father's unstoppable love. Living the scripture that says, whatever you did for the least of these sisters and brothers of mine, you did it for me. Nowan concludes his book with this reflection. As I look at my own aging hands, I know that they have been given to me to stretch out toward all who suffer, to rest upon the shoulders of all who will come, and to offer the blessing that emerges from the immensity of God's love. As sons and daughters, members of God's family, we are called to love one another with the same extravagant, selfless, prodigious love that we see depicted in the Father, waiting, looking, loving, forgiving, celebrating, and making everything whole again. And this I know the waiting father would have us do no less to work for God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Building family where all of God's children, the good, the bad, the indifferent, people of all races, clans, and colors are all welcome to come home. My friends, that's a huge vocation but when we get it right, it's also the happiest and best work in the world. At the end of the story of the two lost sons, there's a great feast of homecoming. And so too, <clears throat> so too at the end of the book of the Revelation, at the end of history, there will be another feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the part I like, there'll be no more masks. 
there'll be no more social distancing. We will sing and we will laugh and we will embrace and we will be in the Father's house. And that Father will come out onto the road and welcome us in. And my friends, we shall be home at last. Praise God. We will be home at last. Amen. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your unstoppable love. We thank you that wherever we find ourselves on this road of life, you're already out there on the road to meet us. Bring us home. Bring us to that place where we feel the welcome and the warmth and the sense of great celebration of being in your house together. Thank you for this time to worship this morning. This truly is the house of God. Be with us as we go out from this place that we may take this love of God that we experience in this hour out into the world that others may know the same love, the same welcome. And may we even catch a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.